This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 245. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, ass kickers, welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am so glad that you are here. So summer is winding down and I don't know about where you live, but over here in the South, it's sort of that time of the summer where we'll get a couple of days where it cools off a little bit. And then you're like, oh yeah, fall is coming. The crisp, the crisp autumn air is here. And then it's a couple of days of just heat and you're like, nope, summer's still here. <laughs> it's not going anywhere, I guess. Oh my gosh, it's one of those really hot days. We're in a couple of hot days right now as I record this. And the humidity, if I don't go outside for a run before probably 8.30 or 9, if I'm not done by then, then that humidity, I feel personally victimized by the humidity if I am out running after 9 a.m. It is brutal. But alas, I carry on. I wanted to tell you real quick before we jump in that we are in the final days of the early bird pricing for the mentorship. We are down to just a couple of spots left. And on September 9th, the price goes up. So if you've been kind of thinking about it, I know there was a couple of you on my live Q&A jam that I did who were kind of thinking about it. And I don't think I've seen your applications come through, but even just filling out the application can get you clear on if you feel like this program is for you. That is, This is not a beginner's course. I teach a more beginner's course in January called raise help, but the mentorship is really about huge transformation. It's it's about commitment to the work. It is the Daring Way curriculum, which I usually facilitate only in a one-on-one setting, but I've decided to roll out some live retreats. And this particular program allows you the convenience of staying home. And we still get to meet on video so I can see your beautiful faces and we can connect that way. So head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship. You can read all about it, fill out an application and see if it's for you. And hopefully we will get to hop on the phone to chat about it. So today I have a listener Q&A episode for you. The question's brought to you from one of our Patreon pledges, and I will talk more about that in the episode a little bit. And it's such a great group of questions, actually, more than one question that I was kind of like, I can't believe I've never talked about this on the podcast, 245 episodes, and this is the first time. So I'm so grateful for this listener for asking these questions about what do you do when your family or your partner just kind of isn't on board with your personal development or some other kind of nuanced struggles and challenges that this particular listener is bringing to us today. I have brought on my best friend in the whole wide world. Mrs. Amy Smith. And she's actually been on the podcast, I don't know, several times for for different varying things. And you'll hear about some other podcast episodes that we've done together. And I've linked those in the show notes. But she's one of those people, first person I thought of because this is what she specializes in. And I am excited for you to have a listen. And I have also linked to Amy's site in the show notes. She is also known as The Joy Junkie. And so without further ado, let's start this conversation. And we're live with Amy Smith. 
<laughs> Amy Yay! I'm so excited to hang out. It's been a minute since you've been on the podcast. I was I was looking and we haven't even Skyped for nine months. So I think that was probably the last time. It's been a while. Oh my gosh, you could have had another baby in that time. Period. <laughs> I could have. <laughs> which my ovaries want. Did you say you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those of you that don't know, Amy Smith is child free by choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, my oh. ovaries, on the other hand, are 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 wanting more babies, but my husband that's a that's a that's a no for him. Oh. Yeah. I just want to I just want to hold someone's baby and smell it and I'll try yeah. not to bite it. But I can't promise. <laughs> a little nibble. Just an, a nibble on a cheek or a thigh. Yes. Okay, so that's happening and I wanted to ask you. I haven't even asked you about this. Okay. I don't like it when I don't know about things. I hate when I have to find out something about you on social media, A, which hasn't happened in a while, except for your hair loss, which I can totally edit that out. I was like, what? How do I not know? I know. <laughs> no, you can leave it in. I'm totally <laughs> losing hair. Yeah. It's a mess. Huh. Literally. Okay. Well, and I don't, and I haven't asked you about this because there's been so many things going on in our lives, other things that we've been, been talking about. I did, for those people that follow me on Instagram, probably know that I'm mildly obsessed with Instagram stories. And I know that a lot of you that listen to the podcast watch my Instagram stories. So I thought it would be funny. So how it started was, you know, Glenn and Doyle Melton and, and my friend Elizabeth Yalto are doing like, you can use the option, like ask me questions. And I think you've done it before yeah, yeah. where people ask you questions. And so I started harassing my friend Elizabeth and asking her just these dumb, ridiculous questions. Like, have you ever done a sit up and farted at the same time in front of anyone? Have you ever called out the wrong dude's name during sex? Like just these ridiculous questions. I sent her like 10 of them in a row and I was cracking up. I don't know if she was cracking up, but I was entertaining myself with my questions. So I took it to my audience and I said, I want you to ask me questions, but nothing about personal development. Um, Just ridiculous questions. Some of them were so funny. This one woman asked me, if you were a giraffe and it was the first day of work, what color would your tie be? (laughs) (laughs) Duh, red is a power tie. (laughs) No, I said an extra long one with hot dogs printed on it. Oh, my preference. I did have to think about that for a minute, but someone asked me, have you ever pooped your pants? Oh. (laughs) And I don't know if you remember, but I had that episode. It was like four years ago when I, and I'm not ready to tell the full story. I know I PM'd a couple people because they were dying laughing, just the tidbit of the story that I did tell them. And I had had shoulder surgery and I was really constipated and I drank this stuff that was like rocket fuel for your bowels and I I had an experience. So I need to get that together. I need to get myself together to tell that full story because it's hilarious and it involves like Dulcolax suppositories and yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Q-tips. Of course I remember that. Of course I remember that. Horrible. And it was so funny when I told the story to, you know, obviously only the people that are close to me. There were so many funny details about it. I'm like, I need to write this all out. And yes. then I thought, I wonder if I should put this as a blog post because it's pretty damn funny. And then I was like, no, people are going to be so horrified that I shit. <laughs> well, you know what? It's one of those things that like 
nobody talks about publicly, but almost everybody has one of those like mortifying stories. I, I'm a total poop smuggler, by the way, because I had a, <laughs> had a situation when I was young, I was probably like 12. I was at my aunt and uncle's house. They bought an old schoolhouse that they converted into their home, but it was built in like the late 1800s. And so I couldn't get it to fucking flush. Oh my God. So I was mortified. I didn't grow up in a family where we talked about excrement and stuff. So I straight up, I had a baggie for all my toilet. <laughs> oh my God. For my I have never training. heard this story. <laughs> so I straight up did the inside out doggy scoop up situation into the bowl and I scooped it all up. I like... I grabbed all my, you know, toiletries that I could, like the bags, because I had just a bunch of like Ziploc bags. Uh-huh. And oh my gosh. And I had a Flintstones lunchbox at the time that was shaped like an actual rock <laughs> <laughs> that I kept my toiletries in. And this, this is hilarious. I completely forgot about this. Oh my God. So I smuggled it in my Flintstones lunchbox from the upstairs all the way down and found like an outdoor trash. And I got away. And so no one had to know that I was a poop smuggler, but that's <laughs> turd smuggler. So wait a minute. Did you smuggler. leave behind some poop debris? Like it's not- <laughs> well, I could get that to flush. It was like oh. a weak ass, like toilet that was like, I guess we could do liquid. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, those types of toilets. I- thought that the story was going to end with you forgetting about it. And then as a parent, I can totally understand opening (laughs) up a Flintstones lunchbox and being like, who the fuck? (laughs) 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 But not being that surprised as a parent, like this is what we deal with. That is just what I used for transport. (laughs) Because I was older. I was like 12 or something like that. So I, I had grown like I had gotten to the point where the lunchbox was cool. Actually, I might have been closer to 14. Oh, my God. Yeah. But no, I... Turns my I, And I think I told my family later, like many, many years later. I can't remember, but... I knew somebody that had a similar story and they were dating someone and that happened and the toilet didn't flush and they had taken a big old turd and they had gotten a ladle from the kitchen. Stop. <laughs> Oh my God. It It wasn't me. I honestly don't know what I would have done. I I have probably been in that situation before, that mortifying situation of, oh my gosh. Yeah. There's that movie. I'm sure people listening have seen it. It's called The Big Sick. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Based on a true story. It's a really cute love story. And in the beginning, they're on a date and no, they, they sleep together. And I can't remember if they were dating or not, or if it was like a one night stand situation. And she wakes up in the middle of the night and he has a roommate that sleeps on the couch and the bathroom's right there and she has to poop. And he's there and she's like, oh my God, what do I do? And they're sleep, everyone's sleeping. And then she, he wakes up cause she, he's like, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to go across the street to the diner. It's like two in the morning. She's like, have some coffee. And he's like, why? And she's like, I don't know. I just feel like coffee. And he's like, can I come with you? And she's like, no, I'm really, and it was like really weird, you know? And then she breaks down and she's like, I have to take a shit. roommate <laughs> sleepy right there. And I just died. I, I, that, I mean, who hasn't, yeah, that happens. It happens. Oh my God. My question so, was who has to shit in the middle of the night? And I asked that out loud as we're watching the movie and my husband raised his hand. <laughs> Stop it. Really? Never. <laughs> I never, ever 
ever have to poop in the middle of the night. Like, I don't think that's ever how I'm going to have to talk to Jay about this because (laughs) this is an abnormality. So is this podcast about personal development? Yes. No, today the listener (laughs) Q&A is I took a shit. (laughs) We are a class act. Sorry, guys. We got a little ahead of ourselves. We I really hope this isn't somebody's first episode that they're listening to. And they're like, why did my friend recommend this? Oh my god! Shitty in your lunchbox, turd smugglers. <laughs> okay, moving oh. on. Oh my god! Good. All right, this is a no nonsense show. That's right. All right, so we have a brave, courageous person who asked really great questions, and I think that this is applicable to so many people. If it, I mean, she asked several questions that are all very directly related, and I think at least one of them somebody can relate to and say, "Yes, I feel that way too." And it's about something that I definitely think is in your wheelhouse. So you're the first person who I thought to come on and talk with me about this. So her name is Sarah. We're going to call her Sarah. And her main question is, how do you navigate family and friends when it comes to your self-help journey? So there are three parts to the first section of her question. She says, whether it be your spouse or your partner who is trying to help, but maybe too pushy, or you feel like you're disappointing him when you are not reaching your goals quickly. And then she says, or maybe your family who may be trying to protect you. They don't exactly discourage you, but are not exactly supportive of your big goals. And the last part of this question, she says, or your friends and family who will not let you forget your past mistakes, constantly bringing up embarrassing situations or failures. My, the first thing I want to say is that family is complicated. Like, let's get that out of the way. I think when we're talking about these types of situations, when it's with a coworker or a neighbor or even a friend, I do, I just want to have, I'm just having compassion for, for this listener asking the question for people out there who have to navigate these types of things when it is your family. Family is complicated, not giving you an out, but (laughs) I know from personal experience, it's always harder with family. And to me, this is really a, this is a matter of needing to have some difficult possibly awkward conversations and boundary setting. So let me, I'm, I'm going to start with the, the first one about her partner. Partner's trying to help, but maybe too pushy, or you feel like you're disappointing him when you are not reaching your goals quickly. I could have asked her and did not have time to get more information. Has she had a conversation with him about this? What do you think? I feel like it's a boundaries and, and conversation that needs to happen with him. Well, the first thing that I thought of, which I completely agree with you, the first thing I thought of is you feel like you are disappointing him. To me, what that is, is a story. Like yeah, she's made experienced up. Mm-hmm. like a snide comment or something like that. Maybe not even snide, just a comment that you read into and went, that must mean my partner is disappointed in right. me or they don't think I'm going fast enough. That to me makes it sound like there hasn't been a con- a conversation, but you've just inferred what they mean. Mm-hmm. And that means that you actually have to tell him that. And one of the things that I will tell people to use as sort of a tool, like an entry point in conversations like this is to claim that part and say, Hey babe, there's been some stuff that's been going on for me. And I realize I have made up a complete story about how you feel about whatever it is, my current self-help journey or the class that I'm in or whatever you're referring to. I've made up this whole story about what you think about mm-hmm. it. And I, that's completely unfair to you. So I thought, Hey, let me just ask you when you say things like blah, 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 what's really happening for you. And you just have to have an honest conversation about it. But that does not mean for one second 
that that's easy. Right. right? So, yeah. And I, I, and I think that what most, what many people might do instead of what you just said is go to blame because we get attached to our stories that we make up and we perceive them as truth. And I don't know if that's where she's at, but it sounds like it might be that way. And instead of saying, you make me feel like you're disappointed in me. Right. He, we don't know what he's doing and he might be thinking that he's being really encouraging and it's stuff that she's making up. I may, I, I feel like it's probably her own shit and she just needs to have a conversation and say like, what do you mean exactly when you say X, Y, and Z, because I'm making up that it means this. Am I wrong? Am I right? Yeah. We can start the conversation there. Exactly. Or you can just say, am I onto something? Am I completely making this up? You know, I had a situation like this not terribly long ago that I think can be a great example that people are likely going to relate to. So I used to do this type of yoga in our living room and it was the person who taught it. His name is Dylan. And so I would refer to my workouts as my dates with Dylan. Well, I had to be on a hardwood floor. So I had to do it specifically in our living room at the time. And as we were getting ready to move across the country, slowly but surely, there was a bunch of shit that started accumulating in that living room. So my husband says to me one day, he says, are you still doing your dates with Dylan? And in that moment, I went to this place of, holy shit, he thinks I'm getting fat. He thinks that I'm ugly and unattractive. I did not know where this was going. (laughs) He's trying, you know, he's asking me, are you still working out? Right. And so what that, that was the facts of the matter. That statement was the exact statement. And then I took the facts and created a story about what he meant by Mm -hmm. that and completely went into this rat race, you know, about it. And so I asked, I just called it out right then. I said, Oh my gosh, babe, in my head just now, I went to this place where I made that mean that you think I'm getting lazy with my fitness or you, you know, maybe aren't attractive to attracted to me anymore, blah, blah. And he goes, Oh my God, no, I just felt like I was dumping so much stuff in the living room. I wanted to move it out of your way. If you needed room in the living room, Like he was concerned about him and if Uh he needed to do a task in order to make my life easier. And I created a completely different story. Yeah. But had we not talked about it and me to say, here's what's happening in my mind. Am I onto something and do it in a nice way? Not accusational, not biting, but just like, Hey babe, I just went to this place. Am I onto something? And he, and then he could go, Oh my God, no, not at all. And then squashed, done. Easy, done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so much easier. And then that takes practice. And just, I think the first step though is noticing when you make up the story right away, because we make up stories. It's just what our brains do. It's part of the human experience. And we might not notice until days later when we're being passive aggressive or picking a fight about something else completely. And then we realize like, oh, that comment that he made started this whole thing. And that takes practice. I know for me, you know, I've had to really work on it. And now I know pretty much immediately when I make up a story and I usually, totally, and sometimes I have to clarify like the example you just gave, but usually I know that it's total BS and then I just made it up. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> well, so here's, here's what's sticky about these sort of situations. Like that's great. If you can do that in your own mind and and move on. I think a majority of people start to gather evidence. So like, let's say I didn't say anything. And so the story that I've created is one of what this listener wrote in. Like he, I'm disappointing him. He wants me to reach my goals much faster. He's being really pushy. Like you had this story, right? 
So had I not said anything, it's likely that if my husband said something like, Ooh, those pants are looking nice and tight. And it was a sexual reference that I would make it mean, Oh my God, he thinks I'm fat. He thinks I'm unattractive. He thinks I'm letting myself go. Or if he made a comment about, Oh, I think she's a really attractive person. I would have spun that all out. So then that's what happens. Then once you create a story, start gathering evidence to support it. The antidote is to talk about it. And like, Mm -hmm. like you said, it does take practice. Oh my God. Well, that brings me to the next question that she has and uh, talking about her family where she says, uh, maybe your family's trying to protect you. They don't exactly discourage you, but not exactly supportive of your big goals. My first reaction is like, well, then just don't tell them about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it really depends on who the family members are. And I think that what, what can happen is we get so excited about our future and what we have going on. And no matter what the goals are, we, we assume that our family is going to be the first point of contact. They're going to, they, they are required to be the most supportive. And that is not always the case. Their own shit comes up and, I, I think she has two choices. She can either have a conversation, same what we were just talking about, about, you know, with her family and from a place of kindness and just say, I get that you are trying to be supportive and I so appreciate that and I know how much you love me and and want to see me do really well. But when you say this, I interpret it this way and I I just feel like there might be a different way to support me. Again, you you, you can probably put better words around it, Amy, but or... Just find different people to be your support system and be your cheering squad because they might just not get it. They might not have the ability to be the support system that you need. Right. Right. And a lot of times we're, we want them to do that Mm -hmm. because we love them. But a lot of times I will say, speak your truth into ears that can hear you. Not everybody has the capacity to hold your biggest vision. Mm -hmm. And it's not a bad thing. It's a matter of- It doesn't make them wrong or bad. Exactly. It just means that they have a certain set of beliefs that they're operating under. So many years ago, when I was transitioning from a career in makeup artistry into personal development, here I am leaving a company that had full tuition reimbursement for collegiate endeavors. They had incredible benefits. I mean, it was unreal, right? So when I start telling everybody, oh, I'm going to be a life coach, I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to leave all of this security, everybody came out of the woodwork with their own limiting beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. They came out saying, well, what are you going to do about insurance? Well, what are you going to do if, if, you know, we have another recession? What are you going to do? And what they were saying was, I love you so much. And I also have a shit ton of disempowering beliefs myself. So I'm worried about money and I'm worried about insurance and I'm worried. And so they put it on you and they don't really realize that. So I think Andrea, to your point, I am absolutely on board with not choosing them as your confidants. Mm -hmm. But what happens for many of us when we get involved in personal development, it becomes like you joined an MLM, right? And now you're all excited about how you're talking kindly to yourself and how you're embracing self-love and courage and all of those things. And so you start petitioning to your family, them, Hey, I have a really awesome opportunity for you, mom. And and you should read this book. And they're not in that place. They're going like, holy shit, Andrea joined a cult or now Mm -hmm. she's got, you know, hippie friends online and it's weird. So yeah, I can't advocate enough to really with clear eyes, look at the people who can champion your biggest life and please acknowledge that for many of us, that is not our family. 
Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's more common than not. What do you think? I totally agree. And you know where I saw this as well is when I got into recovery. And for me, my first step in recovery was Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was so proud of my, like, here I go to these meetings where they celebrate every day that you're sober and you get like almost literally a medal, you know, you get a chip like, when you have 30 days yeah. and 60 days and 90 days. And when you have a year, they have a cake, they have a party. And uh, my husband was like, still not even fully on board that I had a legitimate problem. And as, as that happens for many high functioning alcoholics where we haven't shown like major signs of falling apart. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't, he wasn't congratulating me. He wasn't as excited. And I was so disappointed. And someone from Alcoholics Anonymous pointed out to me and they said, for this particular thing, he probably won't fully understand like we do because he's not one of us. He doesn't understand how difficult it actually is for you to get and stay sober. We do. So we're going to be the ones throwing confetti for you and like, you know, giving you a parade. It doesn't mean that he's bad or wrong. It just means that he doesn't completely understand it. And so I had a conversation with him and I said, I, I don't actually need you to understand completely. I don't think that you ever will because you're not an addict. I just need you to support what I'm doing. And yeah. what I meant by that is don't, and he never did. I just was kind of, you know, setting the stage. Don't get upset if I need to go to two or three meetings a week. Don't, you know, roll your eyes if there's a barbecue, if there's an AA barbecue and I want to bring the family. Do you know what I mean? Like I need you to support yeah. it. I don't need you to fully understand and be able to wrap your head around it and immerse yourself in the world of recovery. Yep. Absolutely. And that's what I think it might be for, for this, for, for Sarah too. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I think it really depends on the nature of the relationship, but it could also mean, you know, boundaries and, and just saying like, Hey, you know, I know you're coming from a really great place and you're concerned about my benefits. So you're concerned about uh -huh. us taking out a loan or you're concerned about this program I'm doing online and you're totally allowed, but I'm on fire about it. So, and then ask for what you need. Like, I'd really appreciate it if maybe we didn't converse about this for, you know, a week or two or a month or ever, yeah. <laughs> whatever it needs to be. Yes. And, and have those people to lean on that are your support system because yeah. the reaction you might get might not be amazing. Not everyone, when you set a boundary or, or call something out, not everyone is like, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll be more compassionate next time. Are you <laughs> Like rarely. Rarely. Right. Well, and that is a great segue for the next one. Okay. Well, your fr friends and family will not let you forget your past mistakes, constantly bringing up embarrassing situations or failures. To me, that is straight up and down boundaries. Like that yep. needs to be called out and just and and just be really honest because I guarantee you that person is not expecting you to call this out. And, and I would say what, knowing me, and if it was a family member, I would probably wait until it was dire. <laughs> yep. And, <then laughs> and they do it. And me. in the moment I get pissed off and I'm like, what do I need to do? I feel like I've made amends for this. And I feel like you keep punishing me for it. What do I need to do or say? So this doesn't get brought up again because it's, it's hurting my feelings. Yeah. You know, I think you can do a couple of approaches with these sorts of things. I'm getting the picture from this statement that it's almost like, uh, usually how these get brought up is in jest. 
and poking fun Mm -hmm. and joking in front of other people. And they usually don't realize the impact that it's having on you, right? Because sometimes it's like, oh, here's an inside joke, or here's something that I can joke about in front of the family and we can all laugh. Mm -hmm. And they interpret it more as like connection. And here you are dying of embarrassment and shame, Mm -hmm. right? So my favorite approach, if it's being presented in jest, is to is to go back at them with a joke initially. So it would sound something like this. Like if they were like, remember that time you smuggled a turd in the lunchbox? (laughs) Remember that? Yeah. Remember that time when you were a turd burglar and you, yeah. And they, they (laughs) get all on your case and you're like, oh my God, let me forget that. So I would probably start with a joke. Like what's the thing from a wedding singer when he's like, ah, oh, my parents died when I was seven. You want to talk about that too? You know, like some sort of joke or movie quote or something. But I would say like, oh, wow, should we, uh, should we talk about all the mistakes that you've made? Ha ha ha. No, seriously though, or on a serious note or for reals though, I'm sure you don't, don't mean it that way, but that kind of bugs, man. That kind of hurts. Like I'd really appreciate it if you didn't say that. So you can make it really light kind of in the moment. And then I would pull them aside Mm -hmm. later and just say, Hey, I really didn't mean to make that all awkward. I, um, I probably should have shared with you from the beginning how much that bothers me. And then a lot of times I will say what I assume their intention is. So I will say, I'm assuming your intention was not to bring up shame or, you know, embarrass me. But the reality is I still kind of grapple with that stuff. I'm trying to forget myself and move on. So I assume too, that the comeback from the other person might be like, what, you can't take a joke. And I I would say, no, I I can. You know me, I have an excellent sense of humor and (laughs) just put yourself in my shoes. How would you like it? If I kept bringing up a moment for you, that was and you fill in the blank, deeply shaming, humiliating, embarrassing. I don't think you, I I don't think you would like it either. And I think that you would want the same respect that I'm asking for. Yeah. You know, and again, it depends on how close you are with that person, but I, I would probably say, Hey man, you know, this is really not about, can I take a joke or not? I'm, I'm really trying to just share with you that those specific scenarios are really bothersome for me. You know, like I don't expect you to understand or get it or anything like that. I'm just asking you to not bring it up. That's all I'm asking. Mm -hmm. And just being really clear about, hey, I don't want to be combative. I don't want to be, are you, can you take a joke? Or That's not what I'm saying. The bottom line is what you are doing is you are establishing a boundary. You're saying, please don't say these things any longer. And then you can continue to follow up as needed. You know, like if it comes up again, like, oh, I heard you smuggled poop. (laughs) Then you can go like... I thought we went over this already, man. You know, I thought we already talked about this. I'm going to excuse myself. And then you, you leave and you make, you make a scene if you need to make a scene and then you continue to follow it up. I think what people don't realize with boundary setting is just getting it out verbally the first time is like pretty much the easiest part of the Mm -hmm. scenario. The hardest part about boundaries is the follow through the enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Enforcing the boundary. Yes. Okay. Well, and this last part of her question is similar to boundaries, sort of indirectly related. She says, 
sometimes I feel like I am responsible for everyone's goals. I'm, I'm assuming she didn't say this, but I'm assuming she's still talking about her family. Sometimes I feel like I am responsible for everyone's goals. And sometimes that makes me not want to try at all. It is a lot. And I do not know where to begin. I have a large family and sometimes it feels like I am the only one who wants a better life. It is very overwhelming and discouraging. I feel like I have to make enough money to ensure my parents, brothers, and sisters are financially set for life. It makes me not want to try harder because then more will be expected of me. Sometimes I wish I could be happy in mediocrity. Well, my gosh, my heart just goes out to to her, to this listener. And yeah. I just want to acknowledge that it sounds like she's in a really lonely place. Yeah. And I think so many listeners know what that feels like who are really passionate about personal development and bettering themselves and being proud of the life that they're living and their family is not on that same path. And wouldn't it be great if we could just wave a magic wand and they would all be on the same path? I am a firm believer that when our soul picks this body, Mm -hmm. that it is your destiny. I mean, for the sake of sounding really woo-woo and life coachy, I truly believe that not all of us are meant to, in this lifetime, be on this path to betterment. Maybe in the next lifetime, maybe in seven lifetimes, they will really get into bettering themselves and the, and the stuff that you're into, listeners out there. And it's it's. I just want to acknowledge that it's heartbreaking to know how much better it is over here and not have the people that you care about the most on board with you. So first and foremost, I, I want to say that. Moving into tools on this, I think that I just would be really curious to know why she feels so responsible. I, it, it just, it's, it's, and it's so easy, I think, for me and Amy to sit here and say, and my therapist had to tell me over and over again, I had one particular family member where I felt responsible for this person's feelings over and over and over again. And she had to tell me, you are not responsible for their feelings. They are grown people, your family, yes. they're grown ups. And it's not up to you. And I think that this is a lifelong lesson that we have to keep reminding ourselves. What do you think? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I can't echo enough about the compassion on yourself, but that was the absolute first thing that I picked up on is I feel like I am responsible for everyone else's goals because as you read the rest of it, now you start to see that's her belief. Yeah, She believes I am responsible for everyone's goals. And then that affects all of her behavior and all of her emotions. So, which is like, spoiler alert, if you believe you're not enough, you're going to feel like shit and probably mm-hmm. act like a people pleaser. So if you have a belief that is disempowering, that will filter in the rest of your life. So you see that she's saying, it makes me not want to try. It makes me want to take a step back and kind of, I get overwhelmed. I get discouraged. So here I see that there's a belief that you're holding on to, um, that is impacting how you're feeling. And it's also impacting how you're behaving. And the great news about that is you get to change that belief. And I think the first place to start doing that is to unpack that responsibility 
And so I would put at the top of a journal prompt, you know, or a top of a journal page, I would write the prompt of what is my attachment to responsibility for everybody else and just free write and see what is behind there. And one of the things that I love so much about the work of Byron Katie is she always talks about what's true, like what is really true. So if you are to take a statement, like I am responsible for everyone in my family, or I'm responsible for everyone else's goals, then you ask yourself, is that true? Right. Mm -hmm. And then, well, yeah, it is true. Nobody else is going to take care of da, 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 da. And then you follow it up with, can you know without a shadow of a doubt that it is absolutely 100% true that you are solely responsible for everyone else's goals? Yeah. And then you have to grapple with, no, this is actually just a belief. This is something that I'm holding on to. Um, because when you say, I feel like I have to make enough money to ensure, no. That is just what you're bought into currently. My my belief is that I am not responsible for everyone else's goals. And then because of that belief, I feel a specific way and I behave a specific way, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, well, think I, think, I think one of the most loving things we can do is set people free and have them tr- have give them the option to take responsibility for their own life. And is it painful to watch them flounder and not live up to their potential? Of course, especially when we care about them so much, which clearly she does. But it's, it. I mean, I just feel like, my gosh, for someone to, you know, as a parent, watching people and whether they're children or grownups, watching people step into their own power and be responsible for themselves and learn things for themselves. It's a very beautiful thing to watch and not giving them the opportunity to do that. Feeling like whether you're acting on it or not, feeling like you're responsible, that, that holds them back. It absolutely holds them back. And it just also, I would, I would add to that to take a look at your values. And I just think it's one of those exercises that can be so incredibly helpful. If you have my second book, the whole last chapter is all about values. Go back and read it, do the exercises and you might have a value around being of service and being nurturing. And what if you shifted the perspective of what that actually looked like? Mm-hmm. I believe being of service and being nurturing absolutely is about showing people how to take responsibility for their own lives and be in charge of themselves. Definitely. You know, and it's something that I would say too is, especially if you are a part of a large family and it feels like there's kind of this through line with all of the questions that she's asked. And I would guess that there's a piece of, and again, I'm totally making this up, but grab it if it hits home and disregard it if it doesn't. But I would guess that there's a piece of an identity that you are attached to. Like I'm the strong one or I'm the oldest. Yeah. I'm the one who takes care of everybody or, and there might have to be a legitimate severing of that identity. And I would, I think that a therapist, a coach, a group program, somebody who's in your corner to hold your hand as you grapple with that, because we don't easily lose pieces of our identity. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of times they're in direct opposition. Like I want to be free and on my own and independent. And I also love people leaning on me. I love being the one who's responsible. I love... And sometimes there's a mourning process of losing that piece of your identity. So get support, my friend. You deserve it. Yeah. I just, I, again, I, my heart goes out to her and it just, that 
it sounds like she, I make up that she might be the oldest. She might be like the responsible one in quotations. <laughs> and it's, it's, um, and it might also be, again, I'm making this up, but it might also be a case of where she kind of, maybe she gets a promotion or a great job or buys a new car and the family's like, oh, um, maybe, you know, who, who do you think you are? Like that type of thing or making jokes about where she is at in her life, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. There was this really great post that Elizabeth Gilbert wrote years ago on tribal shame. And I don't know if it's going to hit home or not for this particular listener, but for those of you who have experienced kind of where you are feeling like a little bit of an outsider in your family because you are into personal development or bettering yourself or, you know, make more money or have a college degree than your family and, and people have made comments about it and things like that. It's really interesting to read, but it's directly related to what you were talking about, Amy, about shedding this identity of, of who you are. And it, it runs really deep because yeah. it's this biological need that we all have to belong. And especially when it's your family of origin, this first, this first, for lack of a better word, tribe that we belong to when we don't feel like we belong anymore, that is devastating from a biological level, not just yeah. from an emotional level, but parts of our brain tell us if you don't belong to this group, then you will die. And that's also what shame is. So it's super interesting read. Thank yeah. you for, for coming along on this journey with me with this, with this fabulous listener. Yes, I'm, I love it. And you know, one of the things that I did want to say too, is that this is a common tr like concern. Like oh, yeah. this is, this is not like, oh, I'm just having this weird problem navigating friends and family. No, no, no. That's like a thing that happens when you get involved in personal development. And I can actually send to you, Andrea, I, I did a podcast specifically on this, like growing pains of personal development. And when people don't get it, they don't get what you're into. Yeah. Um, for sure. We'll put that in the show notes. And then you and I did a podcast where I had you on and I interviewed you all about having hard conversations where it's much more specific. So I'll pop that in the show notes as well. Cool. And you know what? Coincidentally, just yesterday, I was listening to a great Dear Sugars podcast specifically about this, about entitlement from one sibling who's doing better than the other. So mm. uh, lots of resources for you yeah. to continue your your work. We'll put it all in the show notes. This listener and the rest of them are going to have a lot to chew on. And thank you everyone so much for being here. Thank you, Amy, of course, always for being here. And until next time, everybody, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.